test, test. Oh, yeah, it's working. Hey, it's Roddy Mysterioso, and um, I'm here with, can I call, can I say Royce Myers? Sure. Okay. Founder of UFO uh, Watchdog. I got about hmm, 20 questions I usually have for people I haven't on, hadn't had on before. I, we were sort of getting into the interview while we were talking. I didn't want to <laughs> make it go any further. Otherwise, we'd, we wouldn't have anything left to talk about during the interview. So, I've known about UFO Watchdog for like, oh, God. How long have you has it been up? Like 10 years uh, or more? Yeah, I think I started that in 97. Yeah. Oh, wow. around there. So, long, yeah, 20, oh, wow, 20 years. That's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, twenty years of that. It's it's been up for a long time. You know, I, I it initially started it as kind of an online newsletter thing, and you know, back when everything was eight bit graphics or less quality, and you know, um, yeah. So I started off as a newsletter, and um, God, that thing's been around for a long time. Now I'm thinking yeah. about it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Let me play the intro here, just so we get it out, get it the hell out of the way. I think I'll play one of the old ones. Have, have you heard the show ever? A couple times, yeah. Really? What? Which yeah. ones did you listen to? Do you remember? Oh, I listened to one a couple of weeks ago. Who was it? I can't remember who it was now. Yeah. I'll have people know, uh, everybody listening, that I contacted Royce um, like three weeks ago to do this show. And in the meantime is when Sean Morton got caught. So we'll get to that. Uh, and maybe some of your involvement in that, possibly. Yeah. Okay, here, uh, here's the intro here. Whoop, got to turn it up. Get your hands up. Stand where you are, don't move. Don't reach for them guns. Take it easy, you galoots. Put away the hardware and relax. What's Greg? in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about... Radio Mysterioso. intro is kind of like uh having a it's uh it's the uh equivalent of having a little vacation there was a um comedy routine by uh lewis ck where he said you know that little time when you go around the back of the car when your kids are in the car and you're going around to your side that's like a little vacation (laughs) and that's that's how i feel about the intro there i get like a little bit of a break to try and put everything together and make sure everything's working before I hit go. So we've got listeners, the signal's going out, and I'm recording. So 
We're ready to go. So I guess we can continue because um, actually I didn't give you an intro. Should I read the intro off your site or do you have something, the, the original UFO watchdog site? Oh my goodness. What should, um, uh, I'll let you go ahead. Okay. Let me read this and, and you can stop me and say, nope, nope, wrong, wrong. When it gets to a part that you don't want, that is, is no longer accurate. UFO watchdog was created, created by R. Myers in approximately 1998 when the web was a new invention. Myers applied his investigative talents to unmasking many UFO and paranormal fraud, frauds, such as Jonathan Rudder or Reed, and Sean David Morton. Morton even sued Myers for a million dollars libel suit and lost completely. Uh, the judge ordered Morton to pay Myers $16,000 in legal fees. Um, Myers also did seminal work on Ed Dames, Cal Korf, Billy Myers, Stephen Greer, and many others, which we'll talk about. After nearly 10 year- years of investigative work, he decided to take a hiatus from the world of UFOs and said, Yes, the rumor is true. I'm taking an extended, if not permanent, break from the nutty world of UFOs, although you're back here. While there's an endless supply of UFO crackpots and con artists, I simply don't have the time or the inclination to keep up on all of it. I'd rather spend my time out in the sun with my family and friends over a cold one and barbecue. That is a sane attitude. Why waste my time on a field ripe with sheep that continually empowers charlatans and lunatics while embracing with open arms... Uh, with arms open wide, any UFO tale for sale or used to indulge someone's deepest, most paranoid fantasy. UFO Watchdog is archived, I think, hosted by the Paracast, right? Right now? Uh, used to be. Used oh, okay. Be. Is, is it back in your in your uh, uh, control? Yeah, I got back oh, a while ago. Uh, just I had a deal with uh, David Biedney and the other guy. To, they were going to run it for a while, and then when that whole thing fell apart, I just decided that it would just be best if I just archived it, because I really wasn't doing much anyway. Uh, let me turn off the air conditioner here so it doesn't make noise. That, that's the kind of show this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sitting in my room. You know, I used to do this from a uh, uh, from an internet radio station called Kill Radio. And when it was off the air for like three months, I used my... Um, I had a bug out plan. I bought I bought a microphone and a mixing board and set everything up and had a f- server and all that. And... Um, uh, started broadcasting from a house like most podcasters do because the show used to be live on an internet station. Now it's live on a uh, server because I always want to do it live. I, I, for some reason, I really like doing live shows, even though they're archived and most people listen to them later when they're archived. It's, it's a lot more interesting to me to do the shows uh, live and, and in quote-unquote studio. So still well, doing it a lot more way. spontaneity and you have a lot more fun when you're talking and yeah. you know, it's there and unedited and that's that. Yeah, although I do sometimes edit afterwards, take all my ums and uhs, and occasionally things I don't want to repeat, you know, out there, which I know everybody does. Uh, They say things they don't want repeated, but I have the magic of editing to help me. I guess it's a stupid question, but why the interest in the first place, and then, you know, why UFO Watchdog? Well, I grew up on a lot of, you know, science fiction and comic books and stuff like that, and... You know, when I when I hit my teens, that kind of all went away for Carl's Girls, Trouble and Fun. Yeah, same and, same here. Yeah, right. And um, you know, later on in life, I was um, out with a friend of mine, probably about two or three o'clock in the morning, and we were driving. I was driving home from my job, and we were going to go hang out because I was uh, I, I'd been a night person for many many years. Thank God I'm not now. I, I don't miss it at all. Um, and while we're driving, I had seen something really unusual, and that really sparked my interest. And uh, I lived in a place where I had seen a couple of very interesting things, along with some other people. 
and it sparked my interest. And so, you know, like everybody else, you, it, it's kind of like the same old story with people that get involved in in that, is that they see something, they go out, they read everything they can, they start talking to people, um, and, and the interest grows and grows. And I think mine grew a little bit beyond most most other people's, you know, interest in it, where I started going out and investigating cases and doing some field work and um that's kind of how I got started in the whole thing. Then how how did uh UFO Watchdog start up? What 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 huh. kind of got well, you interested to start digging? I had a friend of mine who wanted me to go with him to a UFO conference in the Bay Area in the early 90s. Uh-huh. And I'd never been to one, so I said, "Okay, well, fine, you know, I'll go see what this is all about." And I thought it'd be a good chance to talk to people and, you know, find out some things. And uh while I'm down there, the more I talk to some people, and you know, it's it's like the the people that get that. This is actually the first place that I had ever met Sean David Morden at. Ah. And I'd had a discussion with him during which, in the middle of when I started asking some harder questions, he turned around and walked away. <laughs> like what? What did you ask him? Do you remember? So he had, yeah, he had this these uh, this claim about uh, knowing Gene Roddenberry and having worked on. Star Trek, the next generation, and having it, you know, oh, yeah. um, created like the, the hollow deck and this and that. He had all these really wild claims. I was like, I've never heard of your name. I, I don't think anybody else involved with Star Trek has either. And so it was there that, you know, I met a lot of other personalities. I was, I was at a bar having a drink with a friend of mine there, and Jaime Musan was there. Ah. And so I thought, oh, wow. I, you know, because I'd seen messengers of destiny and all that i was like wow those are really great videos you know and uh so i got to talking to him and boy he spun this very wild story about you know we're surrounded by these giant mother you know ufo motherships and and i said well i said well how do you know that and he said well you ever see the stars in the night well yeah of course i've seen the stars at night he says well that's why they move because they're all giant ufos I kid you not. There, there was nothing lost in translation. Jaime's yeah. English is a little broken when he speaks, but he's he, he's understandable. Mm-hmm. And there was no mistake in what he said to me. And after that, I'm kind of going, "Whoa, what's going on?" And he, the you, I, he meant that the movement of the Earth that apparently makes the stars move. Were I, all I, UFOs. I wanted to tell him, "Have you ever heard of planetary rotation?" <laughs> apparently not. So I thought that was really wild, and so that was a really kind of. Um, Interesting weekend meeting all these various, you know, personalities. And, um, when was that? I got, Did you tell me oh what year God. that was? I wanted to say that it was the early 90s, and I, I can't recall specifically which year. Oh, okay. 93, 94, maybe. Right. Somewhere around. It was a long time ago. And I just remember that, and I'm just like, wow. There are some people that are full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember going, what? What is this craziness, you know? And so after that, I just kind of started digging in a little bit more and digging a little bit more. And, you know, at the time, I was pretty naive doing it. But I thought, well, maybe, just maybe, if I start looking into these people and sharing results with the people that I find are, you know, not very credible, that would have some kind of impact on things. Right. And it's, and it is. It's, it's kind of naive thinking because... I mean, just look at today. Like, I st- I, I wasn't around, like, 2007, 2008. I just said, I've had enough of this crap. I, I'm done. 
you know, I'll, I'll do my, my, my own thing privately and, you know, to, to satisfy my own curiosities. And right. I'll let everybody else go on Facebook or whatever platform they want to go on and, you know, do whatever. And I left it at that. And then occasionally, you know, I just kind of pop my head back in for a little bit and see what was going on. And uh, when I got news that Sean David Morton had been arrested, I was like, whoa, what? So I kind of started looking back into it. And, wow, I see that not much has changed at all. Uh, no, I mean, if anything, really. my opinion has gotten worse. <laughs> it's gotten way worse. Why do you think that is? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just think that people in everyday life and the stress of life and everything that's going on with some people, you know, really, really need something to anchor themselves to, to kind of be with, to kind of give them some kind of comfort. Um, and I just, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I've never, never understood. Uh, I understand about people stressing out and wanting to be comfortable and, you know, want to lose themselves here and there. But, whoa, some of the stuff that's going on now, I'm just like, what in the hell? Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm generally silent about it because the, the, the main thing with me is I tend to ignore people I think are useless. So I don't have them on the show. I don't really talk about them. I don't really care. Generally, I, I ignore them. But uh, I have a slight history with Morton just because I've kind of interacted with him two or three times. And every time was a, was a negative reaction and I didn't like him. And Actually, I mentioned it on my show a few times. I got an email from Morton like, I don't know, six or seven years ago. It said, hi, it's Sean Morton, the asshole. Why do you hate me so much? I never did anything to you. And he went through this litany. And all I did was send it to my friend so we could laugh about it. I never answered him. <laughs> Sean David Morton, the asshole. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. It's like, I don't think I ever called him an asshole. I just said he was, you know, a, kind of a, a despicable character I'd had bad run-ins with. Um, that's about all, which I guess is equivalent to calling him an asshole. I have no idea. Um, but at every, anytime anybody ever said, is anybody you truly dislike? And I said, Morton, I said, they would ask why I said, because of my personal interaction with him, he's just kind of a, he's a slimy character and he's was that oh, way in front oh. of me. Yeah, completely. Completely. I remember when he was down at that, uh, convention that I was at down in that kind of conference, whatever you want to call it, um, down in the Bay area many years ago, he'd had like, he'd had like these cowboy, <laughs> something out of a movie. Like these cowboy boots and these kind of like khaki dress pant deals and um, a collared shirt with a dress jacket and none of it really matched. It was kind of strange. And he had on like these, this big medallion, this big, I don't know, I think it was some medallion that's supposed to balance things out or something, you know. And, and he had two, two girls hanging on. It was very weird. It, it was very weird. <laughs> um, you know, but that, that aside from, uh, from in person, um, was the only time I had ever met him. That was it. Just, just that one time. And that was enough for me. I was fine with that. So why did you get involved with him? You know, uh, why did you look into his background and do the whole report on UFO Watchdog, which had a great title? What was it called? The, 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 the oh, it was the, uh, shameless psychic and his prophecy of lies. <laughs> So I guess yeah. that got his attention. Yeah. How yeah. Well, well, I'd seen him make all those claims about, oh, well, I was the first person to discover Area 51, and, you know, just kind of ripping other people's work off. And I'm like, 
guy's a slime bag. I'm just kind of curious what else is going on there. And so I decided to start looking into his background. And when I started finding all the problems with it, and, you know, this is all documented um, instances. It wasn't like, you know, oh, well, he said this, but this isn't true, you know. Um, uh, the article, I, I think I laid it out really well. And I got some very good advice from a professional writer who's a friend of mine. And he's actually the um, author of the official Gene Roddenberry biography. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had called him and said, hey, listen, have you ever heard of this guy, Sean David Morton? And he said, no. And he said, as a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, I heard he was making all these claims about being Gene Roddenberry's protege and having all these Star Trek credits. And his name is nowhere to be found in any of the official archives. Right. I've never heard of him. This person's never heard of him. And so he said, and I said, well, listen, here's what I'm thinking about doing. And he said, if you do that, what you want to do is you want to lay it out as this. Claim fact and just keep it very simple. Right. And, you know, and so that's what I did. And I just went through his history from all his claims about his, his family. Uh, some are true. Some are very not true. Um, to all the other claims that he made and laid it out. And I just thought, I'm just going to publish it because I, I really felt that people had a right to know what they were getting into. And again, it's that naive na- nativity that comes in and I'm like, I'm going to, you know, this will change everything and make everything better. And, you know, years later, I'm kind of like, well, it really didn't. You know, if anything, it, it turned into a, an enormous hassle for me um, when he decided to sue me. Um, and so, during that time... Yeah, describe that. That's actually very interesting. Oh, well... Um, during that time, uh, let's see here, I got served with papers in, oh, let me see here. Oh, no, 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 that's right. That's right. I had a phone call from, uh, my, uh, web host, uh, was a private guy down in, uh, the Bay area who was doing, uh, 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 uh web hosting. Uh-huh. And so he calls me and he says, Hey, I just got a letter that says that Sean David Morton's going to sue me and you. And you know, at the time, of course, you couldn't serve the, you couldn't, you can't sue the host because right. they're not responsible for the content; they just host the content. Right. So, uh, and I, I hadn't gotten anything at the time, so I was like, "Well, I'm not too worried about it. Okay, fine." You know, well, I hadn't realized that he'd sent the uh, web post uh, an actual document where they had filed in court. And I got that probably about a month later. Um, I got served by a guy. Yeah. And at the time, that was a really rough time in my life, too. And, and, and while the lawsuit ate a good chunk of my time, also, you know, I had a family member that was dying from cancer. Yeah. It was really just horrible, horrible timing all around. Right. Um, so, anyway, he decides that you've lied about me. I'm going to sue you for a million dollars. And here, here you go. Answer this. So I know, I, you know, I knew from the get go that I was, I didn't, I didn't have much to worry about. But you still stress out because you know you yeah, never know what's going to happen in court. There's yeah. always a chance. You know, you don't have to have grounds to sue anybody. You can sue anybody for anything, pretty much. Right. It just, you know, going into court, getting a lawyer, knowing that you know the papers are filed in California. I mean, it was stressful. I won't lie about it. I was stressed out about it. Yeah. But I was also very sure at the same time that this is going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. And so I went and I found an attorney and a very, wow, a very, very good attorney. Listen, if you're in California <laughs> and, and you're down in the L.A. area and you've got somebody who's going to sue you for, for speech-related uh, issues, 
or for liable or whatever else. There's, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm very sure she's still practicing. Her name is Carol Sobel, and she is a magnificent attorney, and she did an outstanding job representing me, and she had this thing done and gone within a week. <laughs> That's, it within seems a like week. it shouldn't even have taken that long, but... Yeah, well, you know, you have to file papers, the judge right. has to read them, then you get them a clerk, then they got to file them, that, you know. Um, she did a great job, and essentially what... what it came down to was it's very it was very easy. Morton filed a lawsuit to shut me up. I know that for a fact, and everybody else does too. Well, yeah. you can't do that. And so there's a um, there's a law called SLAP. It's an anti-SLAP. And what what's happening is a SLAP is strategic lawsuit against public participation. Mm. And so we filed under hey he's doing this to shut me up. Well, once you do that, what happens is, is that the person you filed the slap, the anti-slap against, has an opportunity in court to come forward and say, "Oh no, no, that's not the reason. Here's his claim. Here's what he said about me, and here's the proof that it's a lie." And that's all you have to do. And then once you beat that standard, the lawsuit goes forward as originally planned in terms of I'm suing you for X. Okay. He couldn't even do that. All he had to do, like, so, like, one of the examples, um, oh, a good one, where he said something about, oh, I, I attended this very prestigious program uh, at the, um, oh, it was some dramatic art school in London, and he supposedly got this degree from it, and, well, well first of all, they don't give out degrees, so th- there's one problem. Yeah. So if you're claiming, I went to this very prestigious school, and I say, no, you didn't, you're a liar. How do you prove that you went? You get your degree out and go, here's my degree. Exactly. Here are my transcripts from the school. Here's a uh, notarized letter from the school's registrar's office showing that, yes, I went to this school. Yeah, any of so those very, things. Right. Very, very simple stuff to, to prove your case. Right. That's all you need to do. He, he, did, he did none of that. Instead, what he did was he tried to say, Oh, well, the, his attorney tried to say, well, the slap is wholly inapplicable here. Uh, we don't need to prove anything. Um, <laughs> you know, just just kind of nonsense stuff like that. And at one point, Morton actually had submitted as evidence saying that, well, UFOs are not a um, topic of public discussion because the government says they don't exist. What? What, is it, what, what relevance does that have to the case? That's it exactly. He's trying to say, well, see, they're not. It's it, it's not a public issue because the government says it's not. <laughs> sort of sort of thing. Like he had this little news article, and that didn't help him either because not showing that yes, this is on the public and people are discussing it. So essentially, he was kind of was his own doom in that whole thing because he, he couldn't make a very very simple. You know, he couldn't pro offer. Here's my proof of this or that. Right. Uh, what he does is um, obfuscate and try and change the subject. It sounds like that's it exactly. Exactly. And, you know, courts, judges, lawyers, judges are very savvy. They're not going to fall for any of this nonsense. You know, it's a trier fact in court. And if you don't have facts to support your claim, then you have nothing and you lose. And in which this case, Sean did. And he actually had to pay 16 grand of me. So, uh, uh, to pay your attorney fee. To pay my attorney. That was just for my attorney. Yeah. <laughs> that was just for my attorney. Um so in the end, you know, it was really satisfying because I got this vindication that, hey, you're full of it, everybody knows about it, and I just proved it. 
What did his supporters and he say after that? Oh, le- oh, there was a legal technicality. That's what he says all the time. The guy's been sued. I can't tell you how many times he's been sued. At least, uh, at least a dozen, at yeah. least, and he's lost every single time, um, except for one case. Except for one case, I think he actually uh, it, it got dismissed. Ah. It was against him, so he, I guess he sort of won. Um, yeah. But you know, oh, uh, you know, they use what he said was that I used the excuse of freedom of speech to cover up my lies. That the judge didn't get it. There were technical uh, filing difficulties. You know, well. His lawyer didn't file a, uh, some paperwork on time, and I told my attorney just give him the chance to file the paperwork anyway. That's fine. Yeah. And so that happened. So you know there was nothing. It's just more the same old bullshit where, you know, you have people saying, "Oh, here, 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 misdirection, smoke." Oh, no, that's true. I can prove it. You know that kind of stuff. So it's uh, it, as you say, nothing he's ever uh, he's never won in court, not once, except I guess you said one time when he it was dismissed, uh, which is something, I suppose. Um, yeah. So when you heard that he was, uh, well, it, I think we should give people a little bit more background because that's not the only trouble he got in. The other trouble was <laughs> when he was arrested coming off that boat for, um, I think it was both for swindling people out of money and securities fraud at the same time, right? Well, let's go back a little bit. Okay, um, please do. Yeah, so I, I think it was around 2010, the Securities and Exchange Commission had filed a civil lawsuit. Now, they didn't get criminally charged, um, and actually the FBI called and interviewed me about the SEC case, huh. uh, which I really didn't have much to offer other than to say, hey, I have a newsletter that he, that he sent out about it, about offering people the chance to come and invest in his psychic investment uh, account where he predicted the future of foreign exchange. Yeah. And so I sent them that, and that was the last I ever heard from him. Um, so what he was doing was he was telling people, like I just said, I'm going to use my psychic powers to predict this. You invest. You're going to make all this money. Oh, my, my account's been certified by this prestigious financial firm. and But uh, it was all lies. It was never, never um, uh, accredited by any financial firm. And... In the end, what happened was $6 million went missing. And nobody six knows... $6 million? $6 million. That he got from investors said, yeah. that gave the money to him because he said he could predict the stock, or at least uh, uh, exchange rates uh, psychically. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And he lost all the money, quote-unquote, uh, and the SEC got involved because they received several complaints from investors that believed that they had been defrauded. Yeah. And so the SEC started investigating it, and they found they found that Morton had a bunch of shell companies at, where him and his wife uh, were diverting investor money into these other companies that they had no right to be moving that money out of the investment account. Right. And they were using it for personal stuff and whatever else. And so the SEC filed a lawsuit against him um, for defrauding all these investors. And they ultimately won. And the court, the the court case itself was this big circus where Morton was filing all of these just outlandish, uh, nonsensical, you know, motions, uh, rubbish piles of motions. It was just horrendous. Yeah. Uh, you know, he claims to be a legal expert and a, and a constitutional expert, and you know, his, his legal briefs were horrible. All the motions he wrote were just god awful, terrible, mumble jumble, citing laws that where 
when he would cite a law, he would want it to be reflective of what was favorable to him <laughs> instead of citing what the law actually meant. Right. So uh, anyway, he lost that that court case, and he was um, uh, the court ordered that he couldn't do any more trading. He couldn't give any financial advice. He couldn't do any of that. And he had to pay him almost $12 million uh, is what the final um, uh, verdict was on where the hell does he get twelve million dollars? Where, where what happened with that eventually? I didn't. He didn't pay a dime of it. Uh, at one point, uh, he went to go file for bankruptcy, and it looks like they lied during their bankruptcy proceeding to the uh, bankruptcy officers, and so they they made his bankruptcy filing uh, void because he lied during the process to them hmm. about. Uh, I had bills, and he couldn't explain how he was paying his bills, and oh, I don't have a bank account, and. Um, you know, some other stuff. But anyway, fast forward to a few years ago um, where him and his wife are getting off of a, a, a cruise, a Consp- cruise ship in California. Conspira yes. cruise. Conspiracy, S-E-A. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> right. And they're getting off the boat, and criminal investigators from the IRS come up and say, hi, you're, you're under arrest. Congratulations. <laughs> and take and take them both into custody, and uh, had gone down, processed them, and released them. I think they, they posted a ten thousand dollar bond for release. And what was happening was this is a, a common scheme where people believe that you have two identities in the uh, in government. You know, you have a social security card, and there's a little number on the back that's supposed to give you some kind of other information, and that the government has taken out a lien on this other identity. And what you can do is you can magically go in and write yourself a bond guarantee to get yourself out of debt through the U.S. Treasury. Well, no, you can't do that. So he started selling these bond relief packages to people and doing their taxes for them and some other things. Well... Um, he was charging people an awful lot of money for, to, to do this. Yeah, and for this you know, quote-unquote well service, do, yeah. Right, when people are faced with a really high financial burden and the stress of going, my God, how am I going to pay this off? For example, one girl that came to him who had an extraordinary amount of student debt that was just destroying her life, she, got, she heard about him doing this for people and went and visited him and paid him $2,500 to do the paperwork. Well, unbeknownst to her, one, it didn't work. Um, <laughs> but two, he knew it didn't work because he'd gotten a letter from the California Tax Board. I think that's right, or Tax Franchise Board or something. I'm not familiar with uh, agencies in California. Um, but it was some agency like that where he had filed this bond to get rid of some tax debt that he owed the state. And they had sent him a letter back saying, no, none of this works. Sorry, we're not going to accept it. Well, he didn't share that letter with people that were coming to him for help. And these were really, really desperate people who were at their wits end money-wise. And so he, he charged her 2500 bucks. She paid him. He filed. It didn't work. So now here's this girl who, you know, average student debt, what, $80,000, $100,000? Right. You know, has just added $2,500 more to her debt that she didn't have to begin with. Because yeah. or twenty five hundred that she could have used to pay part of the debt off, right, right, or pay your rent or whatever, whatever, yeah, 
Yeah, and then there was another couple. It was an elderly couple who were who were getting ready to file for bankruptcy. They didn't know what to do, and he charged them ten thousand dollars. Wow! How'd you find this out? Is this in part of the? Is this in the filing this, papers for the? Yeah, yeah. There was quite a bit of this that I got from um, from from the case from the courthouse. Uh, you know, there's a little thing called Pacer, P-A-C-E-R. It's online. It's a public access to court. Um, Electronic records. Okay. And anybody can join it. And it's a marvelous tool, especially if you're trying to find out information on uh, legal cases. You can go into uh, federal courthouses, state courthouses, and a lot of times those documents are filed electronically, so you can just hop on in there, create an account, and they charge you like 10 cents a page. Yeah. And if you reach a, and since it's government ran, if you reach a certain threshold, they don't charge you anything. Oh, I see. So it's a really, really good little tool to have. I was wondering where you were getting all these records from. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really good little... There, I'm giving away my secrets now for nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you should charge people. Take a lesson from yeah. Sean Morton. Right. So that's how you know I found out all this stuff. And uh, the same with the SEC. I got on there and I found all their documents. And then I had other people who were sending me tons of these documents as well. And right, right. It, and, and it's amazing how many people... I got emails from with information about this guy <laughs> for documents or what they were doing and, you know, just 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 a, a litany of things. So anyway, he went to court for that. But also what he had done was he had filed a fraudulent tax return claiming that the IRS owed him like half a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I heard about and that I, during the trial. Yeah. I'm a little blown away how a guy who has no verifiable income is expecting a half a million dollar return. Yeah. In the one well, case. What he what he his did it claim twice, was, I think. he did it several times. Oh, okay. He did it several times, and what his claim was is that during the time when he was doing the foreign exchange trading with his quote unquote psychic powers and lost six million dollars, that oh well, I took losses from that, so the government owes me for that. Huh. So there's a form that you get from your bank. It's called an OID form. It's an original issue deposit form, and the bank gives it to you showing all the details of any losses and that sort of thing. And now, now if I'm wrong about this, somebody please correct me. I, I don't do financial stuff for living, taxes, none of that. Um, but anyway, the bank is supposed to issue this to you. Well, he decided to make his own OID form and put the bank's name on it. So he files these, this tax return and not only files it once, not twice, but three times at three separate offices and a hope, because when you send your tax form and it's all computerized. Right. The computer does all the numbers. They don't have individual auditors going through each and every tax form, but it'd be impossible, you know, in this day. Yeah. There's no way. So they have a computer that does it. And somehow the computer made a mistake and it got through. Well, when you file your taxes, you're only supposed to do, you're supposed to send it to one place. That's it. You yeah. don't send it to three offices, four offices, five offices. Well, he knew that, and his way to circumvent the system was to try to trip it up, and he succeeded in doing it. By so filing in three got, different offices. Yes. Yeah. So he gets this almost half-million-dollar tax return, and the minute it goes into the bank, him and his wife get down there right away. They move the money around to a bunch of separate accounts. They withdraw $70,000. They go and they lease a brand-new BMW. <laughs> Yes. And now the money's out of the account. Well, the IRS, of course, goes, huh, wait a minute. This has gotten a flight. What's this? 
oh, Aang says, hey, we want our money back. You're not <laughs> supposed to get that. And their response was, sorry, you sent it to us. Good luck getting it. Because they, they can go back into your bank account and draw out the money. They have the power to do that. They have right. authority to do which is why they took the money out very quickly. Which is right, right, because they hid the money. They and also did they, this during. Uh, they brought this up during the trial when the IRS came and raided their house. They, they they said they saw Morton running over to the bank while they were sitting in a restaurant near near his house, near his apartment. Oh, you went to the trial. Yeah, I went to the trial for four hours. That's the only time amount of time I had. I saw Morton um, defending himself, which was, I. It's no wonder he lost when I saw what he was doing in court. I um. I went, uh, it was, you know, it was downtown L.A., so I just um, drove down there, parked, um, and uh, went to the court building, find out, found out the night before where it was, went to the court, and there was a uh, jury trial, obviously. There was um, probably four people sitting in the courtroom in the, in the gallery, you know, in the uh, viewing gallery or whatever, where the public can come in, uh-huh. and they were all like law students. They were all women, law students and like a court reporter and me. Um, so I sat in the back, and since you can't record it or you know take any pictures or anything, I had a piece of paper and a pen, and I took furious notes on a little eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, and I wrote tiny, tiny little letters so I could get everything <laughs> in for the four hours I was there. And I typed all this up and actually put it up. I you know sent it out to people, and because of this, actually I think some of the same people that contacted you from his family contacted me and um, asked me what I'd seen and if I had any other details, and they provided me a few too. Uh, huh. But yeah, yeah he uh, did you read that did you read that thing that I wrote about it? it was, I don't think I ever saw it, Greg. No, it was sorry. just it yeah. was just my notes. Um all I remember from it and if you go to the Ride of Mysterioso Facebook page, if you go down a little bit, it's posted. It's as a as a file and you can just download it if anybody's listening wants to read it. Um I was there for four hours, I think the third day of the trial from nine AM to like one PM, uh when they took a, a lunch break and then I had to leave. Um but uh uh, during that time, you know, the prosecutor got up and questioned witnesses, and then Morton got up and got to cross-examine. Um, and Morton's um, uh, uh, Melissa Morton, his his wife's attorney, got up and cross-examined too. Uh, actually, most of the time, he uh, he would ask irrelevant questions or call the call the IRS agents jackbooted thugs, which the um, the uh, uh, judge told him to stop doing. I think three times. Um, mm-hmm. Also, he's he said, "Did you not break down my door and push my wife out of the way, out of her wheelchair, and all this?" And the, the IRS agent said, "Well, as I remember it, we came to the door and knocked, and nobody answered, and we came in because the door was open." <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. And, oh, that's funny. And he didn't challenge them on it. He just kind of moved on to the next question. Anyway, um, the other thing I remember is when. Uh, the jury got up and they were excused because they called a witness and the witness was in the bathroom or something, so they just took a recess. Um, Morton, because you have to stand up when the jury leaves, so everybody stands up. And he stands right. up and he was looking at them all and then he put his hands together like he was praying and he bowed at each of them as they went out of the courtroom. I was like, <laughs> what did he do? And when he, before he came back, uh, he went off to the bathroom. I actually ran outside and then I realized I was towards where the bathroom was and his wife came out and smiled and nodded at me and I smiled and nodded back and then I, I said oh god I bet he's going to go to the bathroom too and I ran to the other side and I saw him like immediately come out the door and go down the hall to the bathroom Oh. <laughs> and then I didn't I, he kept looking at me when I first came in it's like I think because you know I wasn't a 
normal person sitting there watching the trial, like these these women that were in their nice court outfits. You know, I had mm-hmm. jeans and a collared shirt on, you know, I, and a baseball cap. So he was just kind of like, who is that? Who is that? And I was afraid he'd recognize me and start freaking out. Um, oh. <laughs> so I kind of hid behind, like, one of the, the like things in the courtroom so he couldn't look at me while he was sitting at his table. I, anyway. I heard it was quite the circus. Yeah, he's he's brought all kinds of things into uh, brought up all kinds of things that really annoyed the judge uh, more than once, and the judge actually told him not to say things more than once, and he kept doing it. So it's not he didn't do himself any favors, and and Melissa Morton's um, attorney wasn't that good. I'm not even a legal person; I could tell he wasn't that good because wow. I you know I've been on a couple jury trials like a lot of people, and it was just kind of mm-hmm. like wow. You know, there's so many things he could bring up, and he hasn't. So, and the, yeah. the other thing that surprised me is he was con- they were convicted like in a few, a couple of hours, really fast. It was like four hours, four yeah. hours, boom, it was over. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I went through because I, I got all the documents, you know, again from Pacer, P A C E R, and um, was looking through all the evidence that they were introduced, and it was just like, wow, you know, I was like, these guys are screwed. They're screwed. <laughs> they did it. I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced they did it. And that's that. But, you know, I mean, they got their time in court. And um, a little advice for people. I'm not an attorney. I'm not giving you any legal advice. But I'll say this. If you're ever accused of a crime, get an attorney. Never, ever, ever, never represent yourself in court. No. Ever. Do the smart thing. Get somebody that knows the law, that knows things. Don't let your ego overpower your need to have good representation in court. That's crazy. That's, that's just nuts. Yeah. So even if it's a public uh, defender, you know, if it's a, especially yeah, if it's get a, somebody, yeah, get somebody. Um, yeah, so right. he just thought he was, I guess, like you said, some kind of legal expert. And then when he runs up against the actual justice system, it turns out that he really doesn't know anything. And he sounds great. What I was going to say is before he came back into court during mm-hmm. the recess, some of the jury came back, and they were sit, kind of sitting in the box waiting. And they were looking at each other and kind of shaking their heads like, what is going on here? What's wrong really? with this guy? I could see them all, like, shaking their heads and shrugging their shoulders and kind of looking over towards the table where he was sitting. Not while he was there. But just mm-hmm. you could tell they were thinking, what's, why is he even here? Why are we here? Why is this even? So I knew he wasn't, lo- you know, they probably weren't going to win. I didn't know it happened that fast. It was actually. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a pretty, pretty quick turnaround for for a verdict. You know, usually, you know, if they if they come back quick, really quick, it's usually a pretty good sign. It's usually a good sign, from what I understand. Right. But, you know, four hours. Well, that's a little, little longer. Um, yeah, but so. how many counts were there that they were trying him and his and, and 50, Melissa on? Fifty-six. Each. 56 All felonies. All yeah. of them. Yeah. Yes, and I think they were both uh, found guilty of all of them. All of them, yeah. Every yeah. Well, wait a minute. Was it? Maybe Melissa was uh, not. Hmm. Fifty-four, I think. Okay. No, no, it was all of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's not sit here and try and figure it out. It, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of felonies to be getting hit with. Um, you know, one of the other things that he did during the trial too was that he kept filing this paperwork saying, "Well, I'm not a Fourteenth Amendment citizen." Uh, you don't have any jurisdiction over them. Yeah. And but you're I, not. Then how did you get all that money out of the government if you don't have any jurisdiction? The government has no jurisdiction right, over right. you. Right. Why are you even here then? You know. Yeah. So 
anyway, the whole thing was 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 quite a circus, and it, it, you know, it's always kind of sad to see in a way too, because you're like thinking, well, these people have families, and they have friends, and you know, now these two are uh, uh, for for everybody that doesn't know what happened was. Morton was supposed to come to a sentencing on uh, the, the second week of June, somewhere around there, mm-hmm. and he and he didn't show up. And so they put a warrant out for his arrest for uh, failure to appear, which is another felony, by the way. And he went on the run for a little while, and they wound up picking him up last Monday. So 61 days. He lasted 61 days, a lot, a lot longer than a lot of people thought. He was going to last for Yeah, after a while, I so. thought he was got off free, and they would never care about him anymore. Right, right. Uh, but they picked him and his wife up at a hotel in hot desert hot desert springs, hot springs. Yeah. yeah, near yeah. Palm Springs, actually. How did yeah. that come about? I mean, you have a little description of it on oh. on your blog, which I thought was interesting because I didn't know <laughs> I did not know that they put Melissa on conditional release. I think they probably, you know, in <laughs> hindsight, they did it to catch him. Uh probably. Uh, so what happened was, since Morton had fled, they went and talked to her and said, hey, listen, here's the deal. We need to have you on some kind of conditional release, or we're going to lodge you. We're going to keep you in jail until you're sentencing. And she agreed to all the terms, and uh, the, some of the key terms were, one, she, she put up a no-signature bond, which means that if you violate the terms of the release, you agree to pay X amount of dollars. Right. And I think it was like $10,000. And then the other ones were that she allow the government to monitor her phone and to monitor her computer activity. Right. And I, my understanding is that she was meeting with Sean regularly and giving him money and other forms of support. I don't know that for a fact. That's just what I've been told by third-party people who know them. So... Um, what they did was they just waited until they knew that she was going to meet with him and they waited and went and got him. He was poolside uh, at some hotel down there watching the eclipse <laughs> and they bagged him there and then they got his wife about a half hour later. I think she tried to go hide in a room or something is what I was told, but I'm not sure that that's, that's factual or not. It's just what I heard. So Yeah. And you said, so, I, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, Greg. I was going to ask, um, that, were you instrumental in giving them some kind of information that, that helped catch him, or was it? do you think it wasn't really that important? I don't think it was really that important. I'd like to take credit for that, but um, in the end, I think that they just wound up tracking him. Uh, he appeared on some YouTube channel a week ago. Or some yeah, he was, on, he was on Kerry Cassidy's show. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I, I watched it, and I, I just knew immediately he claimed to be out of the country in Iceland, and I'm like, this guy's still in California. He's, there's no way he got out of the country. It didn't happen. There were a lot of things going on in that video that he picked up on um, that, um, that convinced me <clears throat> that he was still in California. And one of the big things that he did, uh, there was a lot of nonverbal stuff that gave him away. There was a lot of stuff that was physical in the room, and what he was doing that you could see that kind of gave it away but the biggest clue was verbal when he was talking Harry Cassidy told him oh I'm going to be at this event tonight uh, uh, such and such a place at such and such a time and he went oh, oh really what time is that with great interest yeah 
And then you could tell the wheels were turning in his head that, oh, well, maybe maybe I'll fly in is what he said. And he tried to cover <laughs> it up. Yeah. But it was pretty clear that he was still in the area down there just yeah. with that. And uh, not, not a very good fugitive. Uh, better than some. I mean, 61 days, that's that's not too bad, I guess. But, you know, you also have to go, well, what intensity were, were, were the feds looking for him with? Probably not a lot. You know, he's kind of a small fish when it really comes down to things because they've got real bad guys like murderers and big drug right, right. traffickers and rapists and those types of people will run down. It, it seems like they so. just made it so he, him and his wife just made it so easy for them. Right. They could get right. somebody that had just been hired by whoever caught him and, and they just <laughs> did an elementary thing that they already learned in school. It's like, oh, this worked. Mm. Yeah, well, my understanding is that uh, the IRS agents that uh, originally arrested them were the ones that got them this last time, too. So, uh, and uh, I think there was a U.S. Marshal with them, too. So, okay. if you have a fugitive, like, U.S. Marshal is responsible for transporting a lot of guys that are incarcerating uh, temporary detention centers for the Bureau of Prison. Right. So, so what's the upshot of all this? Are both of them going to jail for quite a while now? I think so. Morton's got sentencing in three weeks and I'm not sure and his wife is the day after and so they'd originally recommended something like 87 months uh, for Morton right. and um, apparently he didn't like that number so he split <laughs> right. and um, I, I coupled it and now and that's just a recommendation that, yeah. that's nothing the judge can say I don't like this recommendation I'm going to give him more or less well you most because certainly will get end, more now I think so, and I believe that it's going to be the same judge that uh, he berated on that video. Oh, Stephen, now, whatever his name Wilson, is. I saw, yeah. Wilson, I'm, I, now, the Honorable Stephen Wilson, I'm not going to say that he's a vindictive guy. Um, and I'll say this. He seemed pretty reasonable. Ever, don't ever piss the trial judge off. Yeah. <laughs> ever. Don't ever piss, especially in a criminal case. Don't ever piss the judge off. That's, that's just dumb. Yeah. That's just dumb. So, you know, I, I, it could be a long time. Uh, I think she is most definitely going to be doing prison time as well. Uh, as much, I, I would imagine, because, you know, that sentencing recommendation, you have to keep very um, uh, level, and it has to be consistent, and it has to be fair. So I think she's going to probably get about the same recommendation that, that, that he'll get. Hmm. Which is uh, too bad, because the impression I get from her... Um the one relative I talked to is that uh, she was a completely different person before she met Morton, and then uh, the, the, that she seemed to you know drift away from the family and be a different person afterward. Um, I don't know if you heard that same thing from their family. Uh, a little bit, you know. Uh, my my interaction with her was online after I published the um, uh, the investigation I did on him the first time. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, she had wrote somebody saying telling them that I was a director for porn films and all <laughs> kind, you know all kinds of other stuff and um it was nonsense and so of course i told her hey knock it off and it, and it and it you know it stopped um but that was probably the only interaction that i'd ever ever really had with her which is okay. fine with me yeah no i i think if it's the same person she seemed you know genuinely she said she hadn't talked to morton in a long time and he was kind of the black sheep of the family and he was estranged and um also, for Melissa's family's part, they were hoping that the you know that this wake up call would get her away from Sean Morton and she could um, you know go back to 
the person that they knew before that, before she admitted. Mm-hmm. So I hope that happens. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry she has to go to jail, but I'm not that sorry because she was culpable in the, in the, um, in the frauds they perpetrated. And, and I think she's not stupid. I think she was fully aware of what she was doing. Oh, yeah, completely. I, I, I would agree with that 110% because this is like, look, they took the money. She knew where the money was coming from. The same thing with the SEC case and all of that. They knew exactly what they were doing from start to finish. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel bad for her family. I, I talked to her family. They're nice people. Very, yeah. very nice, decent people. Yeah. And, you know, her parents are elderly. And, you know, it's just it's just kind of all around sad. It's all around right. sad. Well, maybe we can shut up about Sean Moore at this point. We've been <laughs> yeah, talking about him for about do that. an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's, what's funny is, is that... At, in looking into a lot of the, uh, <laughs> uh, the the cases I looked into with with uh, you know with the, the hoaxers and the fraudsters and stuff, it just turns out that they're fascinating on some level. Right. It's fascinating to see these people do this, and you got to go, why are they doing this? And you know, sometimes it's for money, sometimes it's for ego, sometimes it's for delusion, sometimes it's you know this kind of grand mix of all three or more. And I just find that a lot of that stuff is very fascinating about what motivates them to do this nonsense and the way that they do it and the way that they're, you know, like after my investigation on Morton came out or Reed or a number of other people, you know, they still had people defending them. Yeah. And it's just like, wait a minute, this guy's all, this guy is lying to you. And you're a supporter of his. You know, it's one you know, you, you always got friends. You always got that one friend who, I'll just say it, is the real fuck up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. the real screw up, right? And you're like, Jesus, what are you doing, you know? But you always stand by them most of the time. Unless yeah. they do something real stupid, unless they do something real stupid. And then it's just like, okay, I've had enough of that, you know? But the threshold of that, where you break that bond with that person that you're supporting, you know, your friend or whoever else it might be. It's like, where does that hit after a certain time, especially with a guy that is a known, proven liar and, I'll quote the um, the Department of Justice here, a known serial fraudster. Where does that line... It just, it just blows my mind how people get taken in by these people. Yeah, well, you have to read... Um Two, di- two different books I come to mind. The first is, of course, um, uh, When Prophecy Fails, which is interesting. Uh, basically, do you know about that book? I do not. Um, there was a study done in the 1950s by, I think, the University of Minnesota, I believe. They infiltrated a, which they couldn't do today. They infiltrated a UFO cult, and when the prophecy failed, um, most of the group stayed with the prophet. Because they, they said they can't. They were so invested in the belief system that that um, divorcing themselves from a belief system was much more painful than um, than just staying with a failed uh, a failed prophecy. Um, and the other one that comes to mind is a, a great book. I think it's called The Yellow Kid. It's by a guy who basically was a um, confidence trickster in Chicago in the nineteen twenties, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he just tells a story about how he, you know, he defrauded people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Went to prison a couple times and came out and kept doing it. And the, huh. you know, he said the one question I get, and this is in the 1920s, I think it was the 20s, over a long period of time, maybe before that, 
He said, the one question I get is, why did these people believe me? You know, why did they believe you and all your, whatever you were saying? He said, because they thought they were getting an edge on other people and that they had inside information to get them a leg up on everybody else. Uh, so they kind of feel empowered by it. And yes, okay. Okay. So I think that's part of the wow. answer, but, you know, supposedly, hopefully, most people have filters where they go, wait a second. But, you know, if you've gone and professed your faith to so many people, to, to go and say I was wrong must be the most horrible thing in the world to a lot of people. So somewhere deep deep down, they just say, well, I guess I better stick with this because eventually it'll turn out okay. Huh. I don't, I don't, that's the only explanation I would have. Yeah. No, no, it makes total sense. It makes complete sense. Yeah, I'll look into those two books. Especially Yellow Kid. It sounds really, uh, really interesting. That is a fun but, book. It was a lot of fun just reading because the guy just goes through every single story. Then I met this farmer who was in Chicago from wherever, and he was, you know, he had a big farm, and he, I told him I could get him, you know, if he put his farm up as collateral, I could invest it. And, you know, just all these people for all these different reasons. And he would, he, um, a lot of people gave him lots of money just on, just on his word. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Now, it's kind of a different crowd because, like, when I, when I was growing up, um, you know, in, in between my very, very late teens and my early 20s, yeah. um, I saw, I, I hung out with a bunch of card players and hustlers and professional gamblers and these types. That was never my lifestyle, thank God, because, you know, I, I, some of the stuff I'd say was just like, wow, how do you live like this? You know, yeah. but I had been privy to some of these guys doing these hustles, and you know the the, the thing with that is everybody thinks they can win. The, I understand that, I get that, yeah. you know. But this, even though we say that people want to be comforted by it, or they they want something to to cling to, or they want something just to believe in, or they want to feel like they're a part of something, and they want to be brought into the quote unquote inner circle or whatever else, boy, just some of it is just so mind-boggling to me at times. Yeah, I guess so. You know, you, you keep saying to yourself, you and I and most people are it's like, I'd never be caught with somebody like that. I don't know. You know, I'm I, at this point <laughs> in my life, I'm so suspicious of, you know, anybody, anything <laughs> right? that sounds good. I'm just kind of like, yeah, get away from me. You know, it could be a great opportunity, but just never sounds right to me. And um, I think the only kind of, uh, only people that, that make money easily are people that figure it out themselves, not giving other people to try money to try and figure it out. You know, how to make a dollar, send one dollar to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what else do you want to talk about? Let's talk about something else. Yeah, I'm, I'm, of... I'm kind of on Morton overload at this point. Yeah. Okay. So am I. And I think everybody else is too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, shut the hell up. Move on. Has anybody else had you on their show to talk about it yet? Uh, no. Really? No, this first, yeah, this is the first time. Yeah, because when that do, broke, I thought just like everybody's going to call Royce now to see if they can talk about. It. Uh, you know, I don't do a lot of this stuff, you know, uh, because I just uh, I don't know. It's just not my thing, you know, the, uh, doing radio and interviews or whatever else. You know, well, I thank probably, you for saying I, yes I, to me. Yeah, sure, sure. I can count on one hand how many times. Maybe okay, maybe a hand and a half. <laughs> how many times I've been on radio? Maybe, maybe that many times. Not not very often because. You know, so often what it starts to become about is, you know, kind of like personalities and, right, you know, right. this kind of stuff. And I didn't want anybody to go, you know, to put a face with what I was writing. I just wanted them to read it. Right, exactly. Know, to take it in. So, 
But well, yeah, that sounds like a really good motivation. I mean, I, I think most people doing this kind of, if you're involved in actual um, hardcore research about this stuff, it's probably best to keep your your ego kind of stowed away and let the let the material speak for itself. And it's you know, for most people, it's really hard to do that. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not saying that you know everybody's like that. I'm just saying that for me, doing a lot of radio interviews or TV or stuff because I used to get asked all the time, huh. and at some point I was just like, eh, you know, I, I, like I said, I've only done a couple of shows. And I, I don't do very many. Oh well, I, f- I I feel privileged. Thank you for saying oh. yes. <laughs> You're welcome. How did UFO Watchdog come about? I mean, I think we mentioned this a little bit at the beginning, but you you have an in, yeah. you had an interest in the in the subject, and then you said you went to a convention. You're just like, what the hell are these people doing? Oh, it was just unbelievable. And so, like I said, you know, in in my you know, from my na- naive perspective at the time of things, um, I was in my early twenties, mid twenties. I can't remember. Anyway, I was much younger than I am now <laughs> and just decided to start letting people know about the bullshit that I was seeing and hearing and finding. And so then I just started publishing stuff and um, people really seemed to, to like it. Uh, and then there were a lot of people that really seemed to not like it. You know, the, the supporters, the, um, the zealots, you know, their, um, their believers, you know, whatever you want to call them, their fans, I guess. Right. Um, you know, I, I didn't get too much hate mail. I got some. <laughs> I got some. And I used to publish it. I used to put it on my website all the time when I would get, you know, these inflammatory emails from people. Um, a lot, a lot of caps get, locks and five oh, yeah. exclamation points and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I just kind of kept going with it. And I published, oh, let's see here, Ed Dames, uh, Morton, Dr. Jonathan Reed, uh, I, I started the Hall of Fame, and some people added to that who had taken over the site um, at some point when I, I'd given it to Biedney and the, the Paracast people yeah. uh, to do with as they pleased. And they added quite a bit of stuff to it, uh, so I didn't write all that. Uh, I wrote most of it, but I didn't write all of it. And that's kind of how it got started. Was you know I had, a, I had an internet connection. The, the internet hadn't been a, around for very long when I started it. And hence my four-bit uh, web web skills <laughs> uh, at the time. For I get I still get mail occasionally, you know, emails uh, or messages from people saying, "Why don't you upgrade your shitty, shitty website?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I left it like that because I like I was just like, you know, that's why I'm going to leave it. That's how I started. I'm just going to leave it that way. Yeah, you know, the, the information's plus, there. Who cares? Yeah, right, right. But the website kind of does look like shit. They're right. They're totally right. Yeah, I, I, I'd be dumb to sit there and think that, oh, no, it looks great. It's genius. Look at it, you know, or whatever else. So, um, yeah, so that's really how it all got started. You know, I had a serious interest in it. I still do. I still do to some degree. I, you know, I don't actively go out and investigate cases right. um, like I used to, but. Um, you did yeah. go out and investigate cases? You did that for a while? Yeah, yeah, I did that for a while. I, I did some locally. Uh, on I your own? On, yeah. And oh, I excellent. worked on, oh, let's see here, three or four cattle mutilation cases. Really? I was really, I was really fascinated with that area because there was something I could see and touch. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, somebody telling me, well, at three o'clock this morning, I was out on my deck drinking and I saw X, Y, or Z, or I was out walking my dog in the middle of the day and I saw this, or I saw that, you know, flying, or okay. Those are interesting stories. Um but there's okay. thousands of them, and they really pr- prove nothing, except that there might be something weird going on. 
Right, right. You know, you want a sandwich with some meat. And so um, I knew that those were really what I want to look at. That any, you know, crop crop phenomenon, yeah. I guess, as you, you know, whatever you want to call it, crop circles, whatever else. I never investigated any of those. However, I did investigate one case uh, where I live. Uh, this is many, many years ago. And uh, it was a guy who worked at a radio station that I that I had met. And uh, he called me one day and he said, hey, listen, um, I know you're kind of into this stuff. Would you mind coming over to my house and looking at something? <laughs> and I said, sure, sure, I'll come on over. Sounds so innocent. So I come over and uh, I, I go over to his house. And uh, he tells me this story uh, about something that had happened to him two days or a day before I can't remember which. It was very recent though. And not recent now, but recent then. Uh, to him. Yeah. And he said it was like the last day or two. And at one point he broke down and he started crying. And huh. he got very emotional about it. And so, you know, I got him calmed down and uh, and he wouldn't tell me the rest of the story. Huh. But he said, come out to my backyard. So I went out to his backyard and he had a small garden in his backyard with, a, with uh, like six or ten rows of corn in it. Uh, not very big, probably I'm going to guess you know, um, two, maybe 300 square foot patch of corn he was growing. They're not very big. Right. So you're talking like 20 by 20 or 30 by 30. Right. Enough for him. So, yeah. Right. Enough for him. And, um, in the middle of this, all of the corn was, it looked like something had landed in the middle of the corn. Just kind of smashed it and, down from above. But very gently, huh. very gently, and it sort of—it was almost like a willow tree. The corn had gone out to the sides and was drooped over, where whatever it was had been. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, now, now this is my—you know—now we're talking. Now I got something I can look at and take samples of. And so I got samples of the ground. I got my controls. I got samples of the plants. And it was really interesting because when I went in to look at the corn, I had pushed a stock. It was a uh, it was August. So, you know, most of the corn by then is starting, you know, it's uh, the season's coming to an end. Yeah. At least my understanding. Don't ask me to grow anything because I usually kill it. So, <laughs> um, and I went in and I was looking at the stalks and they were all very green. Everything looked fine. And I took my index finger and I pushed one stalk and it snapped and broke off. I thought, well, that was kind of weird. So I got samples and I sent them to a lab back east and they looked at them and... Boy, I don't have my file. This is a long time ago, mind you. So I, I don't quote me on what the lab report said, but it was really unusual. It was very, very unusual. I, I got to dig that Do you out remember in what way they said it was unusual? Oh, I think that there were a lot of changes to the soil, chemical changes. And a lot of the soil was very cooked. So I do remember that because part of it was really dry. And the whole thing was just really interesting. I'll, I'll try and find that report. I've got it. I still got it in here, buried somewhere in my countless boxes in my garage. I think. <laughs> but I'll find that. But anyway, yeah, you know, so so stuff with meat like that, I really, really like. Yeah. What, what, well, what did the guy say happened? Would he tell you what caused that? He would not finish his story. He uh. never did finish his story. After he got emotional and I, I, you know, I got him calmed down, he just said, "I don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's just go look at this." 
So he wouldn't and, even and tell I'm, you what he... It, no. Apparently, he did see something happen. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did mention some uh, uh, in the beginning when I was talking to him that there had been a glow out in his backyard, a very intense glow. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. So, um, but I did wind up traveling down to parts of Oregon and parts of California for some cattle mutilation cases. And... Uh, What'd you find out are, on those? Well, I went to Red Bluff, yeah. um, where there was a ranch down there that it had like maybe ten other animals killed, maybe less. Um, the Bartons. It was the Barton Ranch. That's right. And I think they're deceased. They were very, they're old school, um, <laughs> um, generational ranchers that had been in that area for a long time, and they'd had a number of their cows killed. And they had a bull killed, and I got a call from somebody saying, hey, can you go and look at this? And I said, sure. So I, you know, I got a car and drove all the way down there. It was like a, oh, probably a seven or eight hour drive. And got down there and met them, and they took me out into some very, very um, rugged terrain. You doing Okay. Yeah, I just had I, I hit my cough button. I'm sorry. People don't know. Uh, <laughs> I sound a little different because I'm getting over a cold. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. And so when we went out, it was uh, about a mile hike out into some really um, uneven terrain. And we get out there, and there's a massive bull, huge, uh, sitting on its left side. And it was it was kind of classic. The, the back end had been poured out. There were other pieces missing to it, and so I started getting my samples and diagramming and all that, and um, I noticed on the pool that there were these very small, very round spherical, they, they looked like plastic, and they were attached to areas of the hair and the underside of the bull. Ah. And so I took a bunch of those samples, and I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting, and sent them off. And the lab that examined them said they were plasma. They were what? Well, plasma. Like blood plasma? Like blood plasma. Dried up? Yes. Huh. So now the question comes, how did it get there? Yeah. Because in order to produce plasma, what do you have to do? You have to centrifuge the blood. You have to have a force to separate the two types to make the plasma. Yeah. So I thought that was very fascinating, and there were, and we had some compass reading issues too when we were out there, and you know this is back before you get a digital compass and all that, you know, on your phone or whatever. You know, this is a um, physical magnetic compass, magnetic compass, and I remember that we'd gotten some very very odd readings off of that too, and tissue samples taken confirmed cauterization. Right. So now I, I now you know I, I tell people this all the time just to make sure that I'm not misunderstood that I don't subscribe to ET hypothesis or aliens or this or that. To be very frank, I, I've got no clue what's happened. Right. I, I don't think a lot of other people do either. Right. No matter uh, what know, they say. Have, you know. Yeah. There's you know there's there's your truth, my truth, and then there's the truth, and right. I don't know what the truth is. And all that, other than to say that something's happening, I just don't know what. I don't think anybody else does either. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because uh, Chris O'Brien, I've had it on a few times, and he said after all the the uh, research he'd done, specializing in that, he says I don't have an answer. Nothing answers every question. 
I think that guy has probably seen more dead cows than anybody else I know. <laughs> <laughs> Easily. Yeah, and, and you know, when you're, when you're not doing that, like I had one, another case that I had gone and looked at on a ranch where there were actual landing tracks. It was like a tripod. Ah. And, it was, and it wasn't very big. Um, I got to dig all that stuff out. You know, I just, I, it, and that's the one thing too, that, um, I, I kind of noticed about this, you know, my own observation and my kind of, kind of my own personal, um, feeling about it is that, you know, I feel like very little has come out of those cases for me other than to say there's something different here than, than what usually happens in nature with, uh, predation or natural death of animals or poachers or whatever else. Right. Um, but in the end, you know, I kind of go, well, what really came out of that? And it's very little. It's yeah. very, very little. You know, I can say that some of the, um, you know, I, I can say the same of a lot of the cases that I investigated where I had really good witnesses and I got really, really good physical evidence. And, you know, along with some of my own experiences, that very little came out of much of that except for a very, very small, small, small part of my curiosity about certain things being a little satisfied, you know, in terms of, okay, now I know that this isn't ordinary. Right. This is somewhat extraordinary. So, it, it, you know, maybe I should save this for the end of the show, but, uh, you know, what do you think? I guess you're still interested in it somewhat. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so what absolutely. do you think is behind this, or do you refuse to make any it, th- behind things that are truly unknown? I don't want to theorize about anything because I don't know. I hate. I hate. You know. Listen, uh, uh, theory's great. It's yeah. an idea. It's yeah. an idea of what you think is doing it. Right. You know. And I'm the kind of guy that like let the evidence lead you where the evidence is going to lead you. Right. But don't it leads you to lead nothing. The evidence. Right. Don't lead the evidence to where you want it to go. But it leads you to nothing. Yeah. Except to say something unusual is happening. Right. And I mean there's all there's all kinds of theories, you know, interdimensional, you know, Skinwalker Ranch. Um, you know, the the theory is is that it's it's interdimensional whatever's happening there. And by witness accounts in George Knapp's great book about the Skinwalker Ranch, that's exactly what some one guy saw. That's right. one guy's report that this portal opened up and a humanoid figure came out of it at night and ran off into the desert. Yes. You know? And that's that's uh, that's an eyewitness report, and we don't know exactly correct. what it is that happened there. That's correct. That's the problem. It's an eyewitness report. And eyewitnesses are great. Yeah. You know, they're, they're fine, but it doesn't really prove anything other than to say, I saw this. Now, yeah. if you have somebody who says, hey, look, I was over here... Um, Tilling the uh, the soil next to my pasture, and I saw something fly down and grab my cow, and then we have a dead cow and we have landing tracks. Whoa, okay, well, wait a minute, now we got something. Yeah, now, we I'm got not s- saying that you should discount yeah. all witness statements. I'm just saying that right. in the scheme of things, I like a little more meat on the bone. Right, exactly. <laughs> to, to, yeah. to coin a phrase with cattle mutilations. Oh yes! <laughs> oh, that was terrible. Yeah, well, I, that's okay because I was on uh, doing one of the uh, uh, show um, coast to coast with George Knapp, and he was talking about uh, animal abuse. And I think, God, what did he play? Oh, he played. He said one of the songs he had on was "Whip It," and a couple people said that was really in bad <laughs> no. taste, and it, and it 
afterwards, I think uh, he said, uh, oh, my God, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I didn't even realize. Yeah, right. No, right. or somebody else uh, picked the, the you know, or the, somebody else picked the sh- songs that he didn't, you know, he th- didn't know about it till later. He went, oh, geez, yeah, we shouldn't have played that song. Yeah, that's all pre-programmed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wow. in, 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 in a certain way. I, I don't know how much control the hosts have over their music uh, choices. I think they have a lot of control over it, actually. But anyway, he was kind of freaked out because he had put the music thing together before, like way before even I think the show was going to air, and they just kind of used it. But huh. um, uh, I talked to somebody that was at the, you know, I'm not like I'm a big researcher or anything, but I talked to somebody who was at the Skinwalker Ranch, and I asked this person, I said, well... Did you ever see anything uh, on these cattle and what happened to them there that it couldn't be done by a human? And he said, no. But, uh. but you would have to be an, like a world-renowned veterinarian and um, intimately in, uh, familiar with animal um, physiology to be able to do these things as cleanly and as quickly as they were done. Like and not being caught—that was another part of it. So he said it. It wasn't impossible, but it was very improbable that that could be done. So you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that humans could be doing this, but it doesn't answer everything. Right, right, it, yeah. And as far as answers go to anything, I'm kind of at a point to where I think I I will probably just sit back and wait and see what happens if there's any big revelation at this point. Because it really is kind of this maddening, you know, it's this little circle that you just keep going in. We yeah. got this, we got this. Well, it fits us hypothesis. It fits, you know. And I understand, you know, really, if you think about it, that's how science works, is that you get evidence and you hypothesize and then you have it proven. But in the end result, when you're dealing with, you know, extraterrestrial life or UFOs or ghosts or whatever paranormal you know insert paranormal subject here yeah you know in the end you cannot say with definitive absolute scientific conviction that that's what it is you can't right well i've got this idea that um science can be used on the on the problem up to a point but not uh yeah. past a certain point because it doesn't adhere to the rules of science it just it doesn't it doesn't mean science shouldn't be used it just i yeah. don't think science is is the entire answer it has to be used with other tools which i'm not sure what those are but they're uh um i have a feeling that they're tools that not everybody has a lot of trust in like intuition mm. and and um yeah. and uh well <laughs> right brain t- i'm sorry left brain type stuff yeah I mean, there's a point in time, you know, you have your own personal thoughts about things, your own personal opinions, your own beliefs, and you're right about the application of science in that, because, was it George Knapp that called it tr- the tricksters? Is he the one that coined that phrase? Help me out here. Uh, probably George Hansen did, actually. Uh, okay, so whoever coined that, you know, the trickster phenomenon, is dead on with that, because, you know, if you're, if you're trying to build something, and there's a certain bolt that you have to use a certain wrench on, but that wrench doesn't exist and you've never seen this bolt before. Well, maybe that's a bad analogy. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm fucking horrible at doing those. Um, so you get my point, though, is that if you have yeah. something that is so far beyond the scope of the tools that you have, yeah, how do you really do anything with it? Yeah, that's a completely valid point. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's uh, it, the the statement I always go back to, and I love this statement. I interviewed Dean Radin 
about in the mid-90s for my magazine. And the one quote, well, one of many that I go back to from him is uh, um, the study of this subject. Uh, he was talking about ESP or whatever you want to call it. Is like in the way the tools we use is like using a sledgehammer to kill a fly. Uh, yeah. And you know, you don't you don't have the tools with the you don't have the tools methods um, theories whatever you want to call it that are subtle enough to deal with the phenomenon as it is. You only have it in the way that you can come at it. Um, and as we know, with a lot of this stuff, especially UFOs, the way you come at it is often the way that it appears to you. Mm-hmm. At least yeah, that's yeah, my that idea. Sense. No, I think it makes great sense. It does. It, yeah, it absolutely does. So. So in the end, I'll say that I have my own opinions, thoughts, and beliefs about things, but do I know what it is? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't Absolutely either. Absolutely not. Yeah, and well. that point about science only being able to go so far, you know, like the guys at Skinwalker Ranch. Right. I mean, they had a couple of very brilliant guys out there looking into that, and it just it stumped them as well, from what we know. Right, from what we from know. From what we know. Mm-hmm. I actually, the people were saying, well, why doesn't uh, Bigelow release all this to everybody? And I was thinking, well, that would be nice if he did. But he doesn't have to. He paid for it all. He owns That's it. Right. That's right. And I wrote uh, a little editorial piece about that many years ago when everybody was going, oh, Bigelow's evil. He's this and that. Well, maybe he is. I don't know. But frank- frankly, it belongs to him. All that research is his. And really, with the amount of nut jobs conspiracy idiots and the rest of it that is out there lurking around do you want them taking that data and then going and spinning it and muddying up the waters yeah. and saying oh well is it related to this and this and all this you know blah, blah. no I, I, and I think that's one of the reasons that he doesn't release it yeah I have a couple of um, comments uh, uh, shit, shit disturbing comments which means we have to go back uh-huh. not to Morton but um to a couple of different personalities. Uh, one person said, did you want to talk about Stan Romanek and what happened with him? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a long saga. Do you think we can... Uh, I think we can condense it and make it really quick. Sure. Well, and, please do, because I've got a sort of idea of what happened, but you've been following it a lot closer than I have. Oh, I, I don't think I've been following it. Well, okay. So, a little then, okay. A little closer, okay. So what happened was the Homeland, the Department of Homeland Security was doing a, a big investigation to a child porn ring. And they got information that pointed to Stan Romanek's computer at his home being used to download and possibly distribute child pornography into this. And they passed that information on to the local police department where Stan lives. And at the time that the police received that information, they did not have a computer forensics unit. They didn't have anybody trained huh. to go in and, you know, pull data from computers forensically, right. clone them, interpret the data, etc. So a couple of years after that, they finally had gotten that equipment and that training and decided to go to Stan's house because apparently the images were still being received by the computer. Huh. And so they went and uh, they interviewed him and they served a search warrant on his house. And during the interview, he had told detectives, uh, yeah, I noticed some of those disgusting images on my computer and was playing off like somebody's out to get me the government because of my little alien friend who popped up the window or whatever, whatever he said. 
Um, and so he was playing that card that they had been planted on his computer. And so they charged him with one count of possessing child pornography and one count of distribution of it. And it went to trial. He was found not guilty of the distribution charge because they could not prove that he had transmitted any of the images, but they did get him for the uh, possession, possession of child pornography. And this was recently. Because, you know, this was recently. Yeah, like last month, I think, uh, he went to trial. Or no, this month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the beginning of this month, he wound up getting convicted uh, on that one charge. And right. It's a felony charge. It carries, I think, it's four to 12 years in prison. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's what he's going to get because I don't know what the sentencing guidelines are for Colorado. Somebody did actually point out, I think my friend Miles Lewis had uh, forwarded this, that um, uh, one of the prosecutors said for this kind of um, offense, usually it's just um, uh, probation or house arrest or something like that, and then you're put on a sex offender list. Oh, yeah. You don't well, actually go. You don't actually go to jail for possession. You just they they just kind of um, uh, l- let you know that you've done something horribly wrong and that you should not do it again. But then you're on a sex offender list for I don't know how long, forever, maybe. Uh, you generally, if you have to register as a sex offender, it's for the rest of your life. Okay, yeah. So he's he's got that. He's tarred with that brush now. And we will not explain who Stan Romanek is because most people listening to this show already know who he, who he is. Um, and his story, um, I guess we can shorten it, just say he's uh, been a UFO uh, quote-unquote researcher for a long time, made many strange claims and has some uh, videos, pictures, things like that. Also has been caught doing some fraudulent things. Um, and uh, there's a video, I mean, there's a, a documentary on him on Netflix now. I don't know if they've taken it down yet. I do know there's people that saying, look, this guy's a convicted um, possessor of child pornography. Do you still want to keep this up on Netflix? And the, that's under review. I don't know if they pulled it down yet or not. Mm, I don't know. The Stan Romanek story, I think it's called. It's really well filmed. Whoever put it together did a masterful job. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a decently filmed documentary that's full of a lot of bullshit. <laughs> but... I don't know if they pulled it down or not. Um, I watched it, and you know, in the end, I, it's just my conclusion is, is that Stan might have a couple of decent UFO videos, and that's about it. Yeah, it's a, to me, it's like almost like a contactee gone, you know, gone bad. Um, that you know, he had a couple of experiences possibly, and that made it okay for him to just start making stuff up in his yeah. mind, anyway. Like well, the you pen- know, pencil throwing incident, which is hilarious. Oh my God! Yes, I saw that. Uh, I think one of the more disturbing aspects of that is if he has faked all that, you know, where he's gotten hurt or beat up or whatever else. Yeah. Is that, so he claimed that he got beat up. Some thugs grabbed him and said, hey, stop talking. And he broke his nose. And um, there was some other instance where he woke up and his nose was all bloody. And it's clear that somebody had hit him. Um, You know, if he is faking it, which I believe he is, then you're talking about a guy who is potentially committing self-harm to give the story credibility. Right. And there's no, you know, there's, uh, like a lot of these things, there's no way of proving except his word, and you have to believe his word to believe what's going on. Uh, Well, apart from the videos, a couple of which I've seen, which are ridiculous. And then there's a couple ones at the beginning with, I guess, some stuff in the sky, which could be anything, but as far as I know, are unexplained so far. So. Who who knows what went on in those cases? But it he just kind of descended into well I don't know what some kind of um, to my mind a delusional world and it just kind of got worse and worse and uh, it's where it, it's where we are with him now. Um, you ha- 
I noticed that you had, and somebody wanted me to mention this too, that you had Art Bell in your Hall of Shame and <laughs> on, on the site. And I always thought of him as a really great radio personality. I didn't really pass judgment on any other part of his, what he was doing, but why do you have Art Bell in your Hall of Shame? Oh, I agree with you. The guy is a fantastic, you know, he was a fantastic entertainer at the time. And, wow, for a guy that, that got a, you know, a, a listenership in the millions that he had, yeah. um, definitely a great radio host. But a lot of the, you know, I, I kind of think that there, there's a really fine line between entertainment and responsibility. Right. And, you know, where, like, he had... And I remember because I started listening to Art Bell in the in the uh, in the nineties where he yeah, had yeah me too. Uh, what was a time traveler guy that was in there? Madman the uh, Markham or something? Or I thought it was John Tedor. No, 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 no. Uh, it was another guy who had stolen a transformer. Okay. To bring to his house to bring I think it was a transformer. It was a large piece of electrical equipment that he had brought to his house to power his his. Uh, um, his uh, time traveling device that he discovered by accident, where he'd had some. And then he sold rats. it to Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <He had> some, <laughs> Turn it off! Rabbit, he had some rabbit ears, and he had uh, fired some electrical current through the rabbit ears, and then he'd taken a laser and fired it in between the current, and it somehow caused time travel or something like that. You know, it's just stories like that. You're just, they're hilarious. And yeah, they Mel's Hole. And, for a while, yeah. you know, where he got arrested for stealing this thing. And, you know, I mean, that, that kind of stuff is very entertaining. I, yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Right. Who doesn't? Um, you know, and some of the stories that he had on with, uh, you know, like the callers from Area 51. and stuff. I mean, genius. The guy yeah. was a genius. He really was. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the problems that I, that I had was where if he received information about someone committing a hoax, I think he had a responsibility to tell people that where people were getting harmed financially. Right. Or being harmed otherwise. And it was like, you know, the whole Dr. Reed Alien thing. For people that don't know it, this guy came on and said, hey, I was out hiking. Uh, I ran into an alien. It killed my dog. I killed the alien. I got pictures of his craft from out in the forest. I took the alien home, wrapped wrapped it in a blanket, and threw it in the freezer, and then people started calling it the alien burrito. You know, <laughs> and at first you're kind of like, oh, okay, you know, this is okay, this is going to be good, you know. And, and like I said, I was a night person for a long time, so I would listen to, to Art Bell all the time. Um, and there came the point where pretty soon they had people giving this guy financial support because he was supposedly running from the government. Yeah, they had one person, uh, one couple that supposedly gave him their credit card with like a $15,000 limit on it so he could go survive. So now, you know, and and that's where the line comes in to me is when you start doing harm to people, that's where the entertainment value comes to a screeching halt for me. Right. Yeah, one of the commenters actually on on, uh, Ronnie Mysterioso's site says some people could put a bit of blame on Art uh, Bell for Heaven's Gate. Oh, right. Well, listen... That, that's really twofold. And at the time, I'm sure I was like, yeah, he's responsible for it. Um, in a way, he was because, you know, oh, well, we have these astronomers and this and that. And then of all people to come forward as the voice of reason, Linda Howe, <laughs> amazingly, comes forward and says, well, here's the information that I have from this uh, astronomer. who says that none of this is true, that this image has been manipulated. 
And that quickly got dismissed by um, Art on the Air. And he kind of took over. Well, now the other side of the story is what I remember him saying. And kind of continuing to push it. Mm. But in the end, listen, was he really responsible for those people dying? No, I don't think so. I think maybe a small piece. But those people would have found some excuse oh, yeah. or something else to go, oh, my goodness, um, the end is nigh. It's time. Let's do it. They would have found something else. Right. But when you start talking about stuff like this with that kind of a radio audience, you, you have some responsibility for, for people in the end. Right. And that's one of those moments where, hey, is this going to cause mass panic? You know, are we creating a safety issue here? Right. Uh, no stuff like that. So, uh, in the end, I mean, Art Bell, great entertainer, really. Um, I, I don't have anything personal against the guy at all. Right. Like I said, genius radio guy, but you know, just needs to be needed to be a little bit more in the realm of responsibility with some of this stuff. I see. Yeah. Have you had any other run-ins with people besides Morton? Oh, well, let's see here. Um, besides email, you know, Ed Dane sent me some nasty grams. That was pretty entertaining. Um, really? What did he say? Oh, um, I, I don't have... Because what did you accuse him of? Never never having a, a, a prediction come true? Uh, the truth. He, he never predicted anything right. Right. That, well, maybe one thing, I think. Yeah, well, that's the stop clock defense, you know. But, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um you know, uh, what did he say? Uh, that, I, that I apparently had devolved into a mongrel form by choice and that I should <laughs> shut, shut, shut my mouth and go crawl back in my hole. Good boy, you know, because the dog part of the UFO watchdog. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that was that was about it. That was about it. So uh, nobody's ever, anybody else has ever said, I'm going to sue you over this. Oh, I've gotten those a couple times. Peter Gersten said he was going to sue me at one point. Why? What did uh, you say about Gersten? I noticed he was in your Hall of Shame. And I can guess oh, why, but why was he there? I called him the um, ambulance chasing lawyer of ufology. <laughs> why? <laughs> he, well, you know, at the time he was taking all these donations for cause, which he which he lifted from uh, Barry Greenwood. Oh, yes, yeah, he and they were doing a great job with it. Citizens for UFO in, secrecy, right? And uh, against UFO secrecy, cause. Yeah. And he came in and lifted it from them, uh, which he had a legal right to do it. Okay, fine. Uh, but, you know, he just started charging all this. And he'd always have these fundraisers to raise money for this and this and this. And then, you know, you really never saw anything happen. And then he started posting these just bizarre cryptic messages, like something out of uh, Stephen King's The Stand, where it's like he's in um, Sedona, Arizona. Oh, is this he where he's going to jump off Bell Rock like a... At the at, at the at the 2012 something or other. Oh, see, I didn't know about that. I think um, that was no, this was this was longer ago than that. Oh, okay. Uh, where he was telling people that, you know, uh, if you're one of the good guys, you can come to my place here. We'll make a gathering in Sedona for the good people, and just all this cryptic, apocalyptic, doom and gloom stuff was going to happen. And I was just like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, in the beginning, I, I think he did a lot of good things in terms of, um, you know, representing the um, uh, 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 Cash Landrum in court, uh, representing uh, those two people, trying to sue the government to prove that. 
I think he was trying to sue them based on a UFO defense or something like that and getting that out in the open. And what I heard mm-hmm. was that because he had, um, he had tried to get, it, it put the UFO thing into play, uh, that didn't help their case. But that, that could have been something wrong that I heard. Hmm. No, I just know that he was suing the government on behalf of the... Uh, Betty Cash uh, and Vicky Landrum, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I can remember the first names. Um, for all of the damage they incurred because they had radiation burns, right. they got radiation poisoning, all right. kinds of nasty things happened to those people. And um, based on that, that they were trying to get some kind of compensation for the government, from the government. Uh-huh. So, uh, but in the end, you know, I, have you ever seen these pictures of Gersten in this like Harry Potter kind of bright carpet, big robe, big probe thing that he was wearing for a long time? Did you did you call it Peter Gersten's Technicolor Dreamcoat or something? Who said that? I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I phrased that or not, or if Don Eckert phrased it. It might have been Don Eckert. Maybe it was Don. Maybe it was Don. But but in the end, you know, I just kind of a lot of lunacy, and so I was kind of like, okay, this, this guy's kind of a flake, and so I you know I threw him. Yeah, I think at one point um, uh, on December whatever 2012, he said he was going to jump off Bell Rock and nobody could stop him, and then he didn't do it. Really? Yeah, it's just, it's this large um, rock formation in uh, Sedona. Okay, I'm not I'm not familiar with uh, uh, with uh, Sedona. Yeah, there's a lot of red rock formations around. It's very pretty. I mean, the whole place is all um, pine trees and red rock, so it looks it looks like Christmas there all the time. Yeah. But um, oh, I see. So yeah, I just pulled it up, and it looked like he was endorsing the, the December seventh landing. That's it. The landing that was supposed to happen. That was it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, you know, I, I guess you, you've sort of taken a back seat, but you did report on Morton. I mean, do you, are you still interested in the field, really, or do you just kind of sit there and watch from the background and, until something like uh, Stan Morton, uh, Stan Romanek, or or, or uh, Sean Morton comes up? Well, you know, the Sean Morton thing. I, I you know, the guy essentially really he tried to ruin my life. Yeah, and so I kind of have a little personal interest in that as well. Yeah, well, me too, on a very, very smaller scale. Yeah, and so you know, I, I was kind of like, wow, and so I started looking, and I'm just like, wow, this this whole thing is crazy. I don't think that I could possibly continue, you know, writing articles and you know looking into people, and you know, there's just no way. You know, I'll probably just kind of take my little, I'll I'll go crawl back under my rock. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. In a little while, you know, things have settled down now, and uh, go off and do my own thing. Which, uh, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, it was a great relief to not have to deal with a lot of this. Um, a lot of people don't know that during the civil case when Morton was suing me, uh, he'd hired a private investigator to follow me around. What? Yeah, yeah. He had. Uh, it was the same guy that came and served me. And uh, he was following me around. I guess and, not very well because you saw him. Uh, yeah, yeah, not very well. And so what Morton did was, do you remember a guy named Eric Beckyard? Am I saying that correctly? Yes, I remember him. I had a few. Uh, I had a few conversations with him myself. Okay. So Morton and him somehow connected. That makes sense. And Morton supplied him a picture of me. And told him where I was employed at the time. Yeah. And gave him all this personal information about me. Well, I had some disagreements with Mr. 
Bechdor, who, rest in peace, he's, he's now deceased. Yeah. Um, and he preceded John Beckyord. Am I saying his last name right? Is yeah, Beckyord. Yeah. Thank you. Um, proceeded to call my office and leave a message for me to call him back under a, a, a different name, and I didn't know who it was. Yeah. And then uh. had filed false complaints against me with my employer, saying that I was doing all this unethical stuff. And it started calling my relatives and had started harassing me on the net and doing all of that kind of legal stuff. Right. And so it wasn't long after that that I don't know who died. It wasn't long after that. I had a couple other things happen with um, kind of stock arrest behavior that I just said enough about. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I was done with it. And, I, and again, I was like, well, what, what good am I really doing? You know, am I really accomplishing much with, you know, doing this? On some level, maybe. Maybe. But again, I just think very little. And it, it, in the end, is it worth all of the bullshit that I was experiencing at the time? You yeah. know, having to tell my employer this and... You know, not that I'm embarrassed by what I, you know, with any of the UFO stuff at all. Right. Uh, my employer at the time was just like, oops, yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, it really didn't cause any problems. Um, but still having to deal with that and then having my my in-laws go, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> it's just like, well, how nutty is this guy? Is he going to show up at my doorstep? Am I going to have to defend myself and my family at some point? Yeah. Um, how far is he willing to take it right and so the point you know i just kind of weighed pros and cons and just said enough i'm kind of i i just i i've had and just stepped away from it right and it was a great sense of relief to be frank you know because i i used to get really annoyed with this stuff like god why are these people supporting them why do they believe any of this yeah i was going to ask you you know what was the motivation in the first place and you're just you're giving me that right now yeah why are these people believing that this guy who is a documented, known, serial liar, why is he still selling this shit to people, and why are people still buying it? I don't get it. And why is this guy muddying up something that I am very interested in on a rational level that, you know, my curiosity is drawn to, and I want to know what it is, but it's getting mocked, because guys like this make it very, very difficult for anybody on the level to come in and be serious about it, investigate it, and be credible at the same time. Yeah. Well, what you know, if with all that in mind, why why should I know you don't? But why should anybody keep studying it? You know, and how would they go about it? Would, it, would the best thing be just to ignore the BS and go off on your own, which is what I suggest to people? I, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think, what, I mean, you got to kind of be informed about the BS, right, uh, to, to a degree, for your own protection, so you don't wind up getting involved with somebody that is a known or proven hoaxer that you're not aware of, yeah. and then your name's attached, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You know, but at the same time, it's just like there's a lot of personalities there's a lot of political nonsense and there's a lot of bullshit going on you just kind of got to sweep that aside and make your own path and do your own thing i mean that's the best advice because listen 
it will drive you fucking nuts <laughs> if you sit there and go, oh my god, I can't believe this. I can't believe Because I've experienced it. I have it too. It'll be crazy for a little while. Me Let's too. And then you find that it's eating a large chunk of your time yeah. and your life. Yeah. And you're missing out on enjoyable things because you're off researching this or this person or that person. Right. And you're like, why, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Well, you know what? I stick with it because I meet people that are, you know, apart from the fact of they're interested in the subject, they're just fun, smart people. Oh, I've met several great people through this. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. I try to stick with those people and talk to those people and have those people on my show and hang out with those people. And I try to ignore the things that don't interest me that seem stupid and useless. And that's the only way I can do this without, you know, saying, ah, screw it, and, you know, walking away. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, in the end, I'm human, you're human, everybody's human. And it's like the circus, you get drawn into it a little bit, though. Yeah, yeah, you do. That you want to ignore it. It's so contradictory yes. to what you're thinking and feeling, but yet you keep getting pulled, just like now. I, I'm here on your show talking about <laughs> all, this, all this stuff when I said, I will never, ever do this shit again. And yet here I am. So That's okay. I don't have a whole hell of a lot of listeners there, Royce. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah, it's just this kind of vicious little circle that, that we get stuck in. And then we talk about the investigation part of it and the credibility part of things and trying to prove things or disprove things, it just gets all the more difficult. So it's like YouTube now. Yeah, oh God. Remember remember when video evidence was like, wow, this is really great stuff to have. Yeah, yeah. Photographs were fantastic to have. Video evidence was great to have. About 15 or 20 years ago. uh, And check it out and say, look, this is authentic. And estimations is that this object is this size. uh, You know, there was all this great data that you could... Um, extrapolate from video and photos. Now, you, now it's it's even harder with all of the programs that are available. Um, there's also all these YouTube videos, like what is this third phase of moon? And yeah, yeah. Security and ten and these guys that make these videos for you know uh, advertising revenue and stuff like that. Right. Some of them are fairly sophisticated looking. Other, uh, you know, most of the time I look at it and go, that's CGI bullshit. That's now. Not even. Yeah, some of them are good. In fact, I used to feature them when I was on UFO Mystics. Like, I know this is fake, but damn, it looks really good. It, it looks really good, right? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a, there's something else that gets you know the wrench thrown into the works where now you have to differentiate and you know how good is someone's video evidence and now it's another aspect you got to take it. You got to have it analyzed. You got to do this. You got to do that. Can you actually get the original video? Uh, oftentimes not. Oh, this is a third-hand copy. Yep. You know, and, and for folks that don't know, when you're doing investigations and you're, and you're talking about evidence, you need to have the original source of the evidence at all times when it's possible. Yeah. So, you know, there's something, and then the, you know, you've got the, uh, you've got MUFON. It's been around forever. You know, the biggest UFO investigation organization. I use the word investigation usually. Yes. Um, organization in the world that now they've had all this strife and now we know that there's a guy that I consider a bigot and there's also a lady who is a channeler and cult leader that's in their inner circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had Clarks. That's probably who you listen to. You listen to the Clarkson, James Clarkson episode. Yeah. Yes, that was it. Yeah. So now you've got that and then they did this uh, symposium with the secret space program, which is the new buzz thing, yeah. you know, in uh, UFOs now, I guess. And, you know, you just have this incredible 
wall that, well, let's just, this wall of shit that keeps piling up and piling up and piling up. And and pretty soon, you know, you can't see over. And there just comes a point where it's just like, wow, do I keep going? Do I not? You know, privately, yes. You know, if something interesting, really interesting came along. Yeah, take a look at it. I can go take a look at it, absolutely. You know, but for the rest of it, you know, uh, probably not so much. Probably not so much. Yeah, after a while, a lot of filters go up. Probably too many, but you just, out of sanity. Right. You have these, you know, these filters start just getting, because people say, have you heard of this or this? And it's like, no. Why not? It's like, because I think it's BS and not really worth anything. But every once in a while, something comes up and I think it's BS and it's it's got a little bit of something to it. Like the Roswell slides. I thought, well, this is stupid. Nobody's ever going to care. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to care. It's dumb. Oh. And then the, the upshot of that was um, the, the research group, the slides research group, I was watching what they were doing because I was in it. And I, they said, we figured it out. And I said, what? And I've, I realized that people online were saying, maybe we should take a look at things more carefully before we start accepting them. And I don't know how, you know, why it took people so long to say that, but it actually worked into tr- trying to get people a little less credulous on things. So there was a value to it. Yeah. Um, not the yeah. value I thought there would be, because I thought there would be no value, because I thought it was BS to begin with. But I got to tell you, that image blur was pure genius. Whoever came up with that idea... Fantastic. Yeah, well, they you saw know, the they saw the the sign there. There's like there's something there, but we can't get a high resolution right. image. So the day after the the Mexico City um, thing that they charge for and all that, suddenly they've got a they've got a clear picture that they they released, and that's when the de blur was done. It was figured out in like two hours, two or three or four <laughs> hours. And here they are. They have their PhD experts and their investigative experts. Saying, "Oh no, it's real. It's an alien," and everybody's like, "It's mummy. Come on, yeah. Look at this thing. It's a mummy. Yeah. You have two slides that were found in a case mysteriously, with absolutely no backstory to support anything. Right? No Yet provenance on them. Screaming Roswell and aliens. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Amazing. Just, just, uh, it, it just makes my head hurt sometimes. I guess it does. I mean, I guess I looked at it more like you know, one as a show, and two as a teaching moment. So that's why I had the you know the people on my show uh, to talk about it literally two days after this was announced, just just to you know drive home the idea that the, you know this kind of stuff happens all the time and you should keep your eyes ears open and keep your your skeptical side up just against these things and the the, the, um, the video with the um, the Chilean UFO video remember that one oh right right the, that uh, Leslie Keen was talking about. And that was figured out in like two days, because yeah. they just went through and looked at all the you know um, uh, records records of um, planes that were flying in the area at the time. I went, I looked at their stuff, and I went and looked it all up myself. I went through their exact uh, methodology because um, I have a pilot's license, so I can kind of understand what's oh. going on. And they and they, as far as I could tell, they answered like ninety nine percent of the questions. You know, it's wow. like, okay, that, that's way over a reasonable doubt for me. So I actually announced at one point, yeah, this, this actually totally makes sense. Um, and the other thing is the skeptical group that was doing it, even amongst themselves, they weren't doing it. These stupid UFO researchers and their dumb, you know, beliefs, they didn't. All they cared about was the evidence and what the evidence showed, which I thought was um, great. I mean, that's exactly how things should be run exactly. when you're debunking stuff like that. It was a perfect debunk. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, if you're going to, and, and that's the other thing too, is that, you know, I've heard, like, I'll give you a good, a good example. Jaime Musson and his <laughs> site and his scientific team that discover all these alien things and they test it in labs, but yet there's no papers about it. You never hear what lab did the analysis. You never see anything in terms of a hard copy of a report from a lab. Nothing. You never see any of that stuff. And, you know, the one guy that he uses, I forgot the guy's name, but Jaime's guy is always saying, well, it's aliens. It's always aliens. <laughs> I'm not saying he's it's one aliens, of the guys, but it's aliens. He's one of the guys, yeah, I'm not saying it's aliens, but I'm saying you're right. <laughs> the thing never gets old. Um, <laughs> and, and it's like, now that same guy is involved in this guy of mummy nonsense, where, oh, it's an alien, yes, you know, we have all this testing done, da 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 the only testing that they have so far that's concluded anything is that the white substance that's on this thing is a material that's used for paint or plastic. Huh. That's all they have. Right now. Yeah, so right I now. understand. What I think in a lot, yeah, I think in a lot of these cases, the the point isn't to find out what it is. The point is to have people string people along with the with the drama of it till they find out what it is or isn't. Um, yes. they, I'm, I'm almost think they don't really, uh, some of these cases, they don't really care what the outcome is just so they can keep people interested in it for the time to keep the views up and all that. Right. And it's like, uh, Gaia, Gaia is selling their subscription service. I mean, they're a business and they are genius marketers. They're very, very good at marketing things. Yeah. Uh, if you ever see their ads on Facebook, their ads are really well done. They're, they get your attention right away. And they know how to suck people in. And, like, their revenue stream is up by, like, I was like, 65% or something. Huh. I mean, first and foremost, they're a business. Yeah. Hands down. They're yeah, a business. Yeah. And, of course, you know, if you want to get your viewership up, you get people involved and make it very dramatic and very soap opera-esque. And, you know, you hype it, hype it, hype it. Meanwhile, people are subscribing. And then the end result, oh, you know. Then you move on to the next big thing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so it's going to be very interesting to see what that, what, where that whole thing leads to. Yeah, exactly. We've got three minutes. Uh, I don't th- oh. suppose you want to push anything because you said you don't want to. Um, but UFO Watchdog is still up, and you have a UFO Watchdog um, uh, blog too. Well, yeah. Let me tell you everything you can buy from me. Uh, I have no books. <laughs> I have uh, I have no subscription services. And no I have no plans for any of that stuff. And I have no plans for any of that stuff. So. Good for you. Yeah, I've always offered it for free because that was the one thing in the beginning was like, I don't want people to try to cloud the message by accusing me of wanting to profit from it. Yeah. I, I, I made zero on this. <laughs> zero. So, and I, and I don't have any plans to monetize it or, you know, do YouTube or any of that other stuff. There's no ads up on my gig or page. Right. So, I really don't have anything to hot. Every time a guest is on, especially the first time, I let them pick the music that goes at the end of the show. What would you like to hear? What's your favorite music? Oh, my gosh. You got any clues, right? I can look it up. Yeah, let's do that. Which song? I'll just pick something. Uh, Jet City Woman. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay, I'll play that. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's a good song. So. Well, it doesn't right. have to have anything to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> unless you can say, think of something that's, like, uh, that's something that's uh, relevant. Oh, um, Operation Minecraft. Conspiracy, you know, it's kind of related, so. Oh, okay, perfect. There we go. 
All right. Well, uh, thanks, Royce, for being on the show. And I, I feel privileged that you were actually said okay right away when I asked you to be oh. on about three weeks ago. Well, no, thanks for asking me. I mean, the time went by way too quickly. Yeah, it I, went really I, fast. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, I'll talk to you again soon. And here's, uh, here's Queensryche um, Mind Crime. Let's see if we can hear it. There it is. Thanks again, Greg. Hello, hello. We are on the air. Thank you for listening to Ready Mysterioso. 